So uh, while we are maybe on the eve of, as what somebody described earlier as, the stupidest Armageddon ever, maybe that won't happen. Steve will continue to follow North Korea and the president and other news in the newsroom. We are also on the eve of the worst day in market history. It was on October 19, 1987, that the Dow lost over 500 points. Were as a percentage at the same loss today, we would be down something like 5,000 points, actually maybe even more. Can you imagine if all of a sudden your 401k was 22% lower? And yet, listening to my voice now, you may well remember that day. And here we come up on the anniversary. None other than Diana Enriquez, who wrote about Bernie Madoff and the Wizard of Lies, has tackled this topic, and she's in our studio. Welcome back to the show. It's nice to meet you in person. Wonderful to be here, John. Congratulations on telling another great financial story, which I think is the most difficult task. Finances are difficult for us. And then to pull out of that a good yarn, that's two jobs in one. Thanks. I'm glad you enjoyed it. But, you know, really, the the history itself made my task very easy because um, the the 1987 crash um, is is a story of cliffhangers and 11th hour rescues and accidental heroes. I mean, you if you couldn't make this story exciting, you really should check for a pulse. Okay, so what did happen? Why did the market fall 500-plus points in one day? Well, let me dodge that question. Let's do the famous pivot here because everyone always wants to know why did the market fall. And um, while, it, while certainly that was an epic crash, a single-day loss of almost 25%, um, I was more concerned with what that loss did to the financial structure of the country. It's one thing for a market to fall. It's another thing for it to almost fall apart. And that's what happened in 1987. And it happened not because of any easily identifiable villain, but because of some tectonic changes that were occurring in the marketplace in the years before the crash that were neglected, ignored, and misunderstood. Computerization, insurance products. Yes, computerization, academic theories for for uh, reducing risk that turned out to do exactly the opposite. The rise of supersized investors. For the first time, pension funds were wading into the stock market, and they were these giant, gigantic rhinoceroses wading in. Um, and for the first time, a market crash didn't stay in its own market. So uh, it exposed how balkanized our regulatory system was. I, I say in the book, I, and I argue, and I think I'm uh, I'm persuasive that this really has to be thought of as the first modern market crash. It was unlike any of the previous market crashes in our history because it involved financial derivatives for the first time. It involved uh, this balkanized regulatory system. It involved these gigantic investors using computer-driven uh, strategies in a herd-like way. Now, that had never happened before. But those factors, some or all of them, have been involved in every crash we've had since 87, hmm. including, of course, d- devastatingly in 2008. Yeah. How does that work? And is, is, do you um, mind the fact that some people who trade are trading on the margins, they never really are uh, putting any capital into the thing? That, and if it goes up a little bit, they buy and sell in microseconds, and it's... Um, I'm not sure that they're, you know, good for the economy or America. I do raise concerns, particularly in the epilogue of my book, John, about 
what kind of market we've inherited from the past 30 years. I mean, the, the crash of 87 was really like a crystal ball. It showed us the future if we would look at it and learn from it. And that future is what we're living in right now. The markets are heavily dominated by giant institutions. They are heavily dominated by institutions pursuing very similar strategies. So everybody runs over to the same side of the boat, and you just hope it doesn't capsize. Um, it is extremely dependent on derivatives that have not been tested in a serious market uh, struggle. So um, I, I can understand that the high-frequency trading mentality, um, it, you know, makes it seem very much like a casino. I think we've lost something when we don't look to our our capital markets, our stock markets, as a place where new ideas can be financed, where healthy growth can be financed. That's what they were designed for. And 87 showed that we were starting down a road where that role was going to come under increasing pressure. And had we looked at it clearly then... Uh, maybe we would have wound up at a different place. You think if we had learned from 87 that 2008 would not have happened? I think it certainly would have been. Because that uh, was about the housing crisis, well, wasn't it, it? It was about the housing crisis, except that the fragility of the housing crisis got incorporated into um, asset-backed securities that mm -hmm. became the the basis for a host of financial derivatives. Just, I mean, you think of it, 87, they had new financial derivatives, computer-driven by in, by giant institutional investors. Same thing in 08. Untested financial derivatives, they were called credit default swaps then, instead of, you know, uh, S&P 500 futures back in 87. But it, it's still um, a marketplace that is hurtling along at a breakneck speed. And what really worries me is that we've still got a 20th century regulatory machine trying to keep up with this 21st century market. Should we have more government intervention or regulation? I mean, is that the job of the government to safeguard these markets? It's certainly the job of the government to understand these markets. And I think that's the gap. Um, the, the understanding of the forces that have been unleashed in a market is what really went wrong in 87. What was the, the trigger, though, on October 19th, 1987? Well, as, as you know from the book, John, it was really, uh, it had been uh, a, a month in which every day was like the worst day ever. The first week in October 1987 was the worst week in market history. And traders went home from the New York Stock Exchange and said, whew, we were due for a correction. This was really a brutal one, but now it's over. And then the next week was dramatically worse. On the Friday of that week, the Dow closed down more than 100 points for the first time in its history. That would be the equivalent of 1,000 points today. And stunned traders said, oh, my God, now surely it's over. It was the worst day in Wall Street history that Friday. And then on Monday, we had a new worst day in history. How could they be so wrong? And then it was fantastically worse. It was down 500 and how many points? 508 points. Was there no circuit breaker back then? Nope. There were no circuit breakers. There was no way to stop the decline. There were just nowhere near enough buyers to 
uh, to absorb the amount of selling that was going on. So at the end of the month, the market was down how much percentage-wise? Well, from its peak to the end of that month, it was down more than 30%. My goodness. And how long did it take for us to recover from that? To get back to the August peak. I mean, if you put all your nest egg into the stock market in August of 1987, it took you two years. Okay, but that's not so bad. In fact, some people say this was the crash without consequence. What do you say about that? I say those people have not read the history. I mean, that's just an example of the kind of market amnesia that I, that worries me and other financial writers so much. I mean, inevitably, amnesia sets in and you forget your past mistakes and then repeat them. And that's what I think that's that reflects. People remember it as a rosy kind of, um, you know, one and done. You know it was a bad day, but we got over it quickly and – it was almost what well, almost the worst day ever, and worse than we knew. That's what that's what struck me as I researched this book. It's one thing that we don't remember how bad we learned it was then. We didn't know really how bad it was, and it was far worse than we knew even then. Because behind the scenes, regulators were right. It wasn't the loss; it was the weakness in the structure itself. Absolutely, the fear that firms were going to fail. So, are we are we um, vulnerable to the same sort of single day crash today? Could that happen again? There are, as you point out, John, so wisely, circuit breakers now that kick in automatically um, and will slow down a, a, a plummeting marketplace. Not stop it, but slow it down a bit. The problem is that we don't have just one or two or five or six marketplaces today. We've got more than five dozen places you can trade stocks. Uh, Dark pools where kind of members only clubs that you can join and trade stocks. So the market now is as fragmented as the regulatory system is and a circuit breaker is going to be less effective in that environment. Well, that's bad news. But here's my question for you. I have to pause, come back and answer this. And that is the market's uh, down a little bit today, like 50 points or so, I think Steve said. But still, it's 22,000. Can you believe that? Do you have anything to say about the next the next correction, irrespective of what happened in 87 or 08, but just the natural ebb and flow of the market. Where do you think we are right now? In a minute on WGN. Diane Enriquez, the best-selling author, Wizard of Lies, and now this book about 1987, which has a very long title. I left my copy at home. Let me read it for you. It's A First-Class Catastrophe, The Road to Black Monday, The Worst Day, in Wall Street history. By the way, she's speaking in Oak Brook at the Women's Club. Run out and get tickets. Oh, wait, you can't. That's sold out. But the book, if it enjoys the same sort of success her others have, will be a New York Times bestseller and will once again set the standard for understanding a complicated financial topic. And this one matters because not only is it a fascinating story and has a lot of Chicago connections, but if we don't learn the lessons from that, we are doomed. So we'll finish this conversation in just a minute. By the way, I'll bet you know someone who's getting older and wants to stay in their home. I'll bet that you're concerned about their safety if they do. One in three Americans will fall this year over the age of 65. I'd like to introduce you to the folks at Remodel Direct. They do one thing. Listen to this. They specialize in making homes safer and more comfortable to age in. Remodel Direct, Chicago company. They serve all of Chicagoland. They're certified living in place specialists. They walked through my folks' house. They found a lot of mistakes we were making. They're making my mom and dad's home safer for them to live in. And you know who really appreciates that? They're adult children. My siblings and I are like, oh, that's a good thing. And I know it would be good for you and your family, too. 
They bring their showroom to your home. They give you factory direct prices. This is a good idea. I want you to call them at 888 770 direct This is Remodel Direct, 888-70-DIRECT. It's 254. All right, Diane Enrique. So uh, are you worried about the markets right now? I don't mean to be. Maybe I should not. Um, but are, do we have some sort of, I don't know, 2,000-point point correction in our near future? Well, I'm, I couldn't tell you. And if, if I could tell you, I wouldn't because I would be quietly you know, setting up a position that would allow me to profit from that. Um, we're certainly going to have a market correction. Markets do not go endlessly up. As we say in the, in the biz, trees don't grow to the sky. So there will be a market correction. What I'm concerned about is how we respond to it. I think we're in a period of, uh, of intense euphoria right now. Um, what are we happy about? Well, tax cuts, possibly, for corporations. That's interesting. Um, a lot of the things that I thought were driving the market have not come to fruition. We don't even have a health care bill. And I think the market's patience will not be endless. However, right now, there still seems to be enough of a belief that, uh, that this administration will deliver. But what... I'm more concerned about the administration delivering, John, is um, a calm voice from the cockpit when we do hit that turbulence. Because if you look at the 87 story, there was a bit of a vacuum in Washington at the moment of Black Monday. Um, President Reagan was distracted. His wife was having breast cancer surgery. And that vacuum became louder and scarier. Fortunately, you know, people stepped into it. John Phelan at the New York Stock Exchange, Alan Greenspan, new at the Fed, Jerry Corrigan at the New York Fed. And they they were that voice that said, ladies and gentlemen, we're experiencing some, some turbulence, <laughs> but, but you know, we, we will, uh, we'll, we'll sail through it. So I ask myself, who, who is that, who steps up to that microphone now? And I would be more reassured if I could see uh, the financial um, uh, officials in the Trump administration um, you know, acting like the kind of people you would take some uh, comfort from and some calming advice from. Um, I think the the White House and the Treasury Department need to think about who the A team is going to be on the day when it comes. Do you not have uh, a lot of confidence in Steve Mnuchin? Well, he certainly has Wall Street background, and in fact, his father plays a small cameo role in the 1987 crash. As does Chicago play a not small role in Very your story. Uh, just give me a minute, and then we have to go on the Chicago connection to this story. Chicago changed the world when the Chicago Mercantile Exchange introduced S&P 500 futures contracts in April 1982. Um, and it's not going back. I mean, that, the world before 1982 has gone with the wind. So Chicago created financial derivatives that were widely adopted by institutional investors that became a, a, a mainstay of uh, traders all around the world. And by doing so, they coupled together the futures market and the stock market in ways that were poorly understood then and huh. only slightly better understood now. Yeah. But Chicago had some of the giants of the futures industry here, people like Leo Malamud and Bill Brodsky, who got Chicago through the crash by the skin of its teeth, just as John Phelan and Jerry Corrigan did in New York. Uh, so these are, you know, these are accidental heroes, people who went out to find their fortune and met monsters and managed to to evade them and escape them and come back and tell the tale. A first-class catastrophe. <laughs> what a great title. 
The Road to Black Monday, the worst day in Wall Street history, is uh, available everywhere now? Yes. I even saw it in the airport. Is it going to be a, an HBO uh, project like your last one was? <laughs> I will be very surprised if that happens. But yeah. You do have some interesting characters here. And if anybody could write a, uh, a page turner about the markets, it's Diana Enriquez. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for coming always into our studio. Always a pleasure to be here. You're lucky if you're in Oakbrook tomorrow night, you'll get a chance to see her there too.